I'm Gregory Berg. I began work here at WGTD back in 1986, and it was right around that time that a popular program we carried called Adventures in Good Music with Carl Haas became prohibitively expensive. So I offered to produce a program of my own that could serve as something of a replacement. The result was a series called Music, A Closer Look, in which I covered a wide array of topics related to classical music. These are among the oldest artifacts that remain of my earliest years at WGTD. And here is one of those programs, Music, A Closer Look, devoted to the operatic high note. Enjoy. Today's edition is entitled The High Note. It's that special moment towards the end of an aria or duet when the singer takes an extra deep breath and then lets loose. Ethan Morden, in his book Demented, likens the operatic high note to the, quote, vocal equivalent of a triple jump in figure skating, the excitement of a challenge, a risk, and, of course, great beauty. Of course, the high notes are but a small part of a given operatic performance, and they shouldn't be overemphasized. And yet, their allure is hard to resist. I succumbed to it myself. Recently, when I purchased the new recital album of a rising new star, Aprile Milo, uh, I played Drop the Needle towards the very end of each selection so I could sample the high notes, the B-flat and Pace Pace, and the high notes in the Macbeth arias, and so on. I have to admit, it's, it's rather shallow of me, I suppose, but there's just something about the high note, the way in which it pushes most singers towards their very limit, sometimes with distressing results, but sometimes with spectacular results. And of course, high notes are not just there to make the singer nervous, but are often there to bring an aria or an opera or just a song to the most thrilling, effective climax possible, or to express a moment of particular drama in the most unforgettable way. On today's special edition of A Closer Look, we're going to be listening to some high notes and then listening to two very special singers who redefined what a high note is. French singer Mado Robin, the coloratura stratospheric listed in the Guinness Book of World Records, and Russian bass Ivan Rebrov. All coming up in the next special edition of Music, A Closer Look. It's somehow appropriate that Joan Sutherland and Luciano Pavarotti in that duet from Rigoletto are singing Adio, Adio, because in some cases, with all the high notes approaching, uh, sometimes you might as well say farewell to life or even farewell to that particular performance. One of the cruel things about high notes is that sometimes they can spell the end to a quality performance, which in every other way has been marvelous. But when the high notes are there in all of their glory, you have a performance which is extra special. High notes do not just belong to the high singers. Uh, 
singers of all the voice parts have their own high notes according to what is the upper extreme of their range. For instance, baritones have their own high notes and uh, very thrillingly sung, in this case, by uh, American baritone Cheryl Milnes. In the end of his great aria from Il Tabaro of Puccini, letting loose with a thrilling high G which brings this great aria to a close. Baritone Cheryl Milnes in the closing measures of Nulla Silencio, Michel's aria from Il Tabaro. voice of a baritone, a G above middle C is a thrilling high note. Of course, duck soup to a tenor, particularly to one named Luciano Pavarotti, who sings these high Cs with such wonderful ease. An aria from La Fidi Regiment of Donizetti. sees in all in that aria from Donizetti's Daughter of the Regiment. Mezzo-sopranos have high notes which are higher still. Here is Russian mezzo-soprano Elena Obratsova singing the finale of Un Don Fatale from Verdi's Don Carlo. Higher still, of course, are the high notes which belong to the soprano. Of course, the highest notes of the high notes belong to the high, high coloraturas. But the dramatic and spinto singers also have their chance at the glory. American soprano Leontine Price brings down the house with the high B-flat at the end of Pace Pace. capacity crowd at the Metropolitan Opera in New York, uh, accustomed to great operatic performances, but there is a special allure to the high note. That high B-flat ends the aria Pace Pace from Verdi's La Forza del Destino, 
sung by Leontine Price. The allure of the high notes, of course, is something not at all new since the dawn of opera. As long as there have been high notes, they have been enjoyed and loved by operatic fans. And at the dawn of recorded opera, they were enjoyed as well. Here is Enrico Caruso. La Donna Immobile from Verdi's Rigoletto. Not all high notes are meant to be loud and blasted uh, like uh, that high B flat. Some are exquisite because they are so very, very soft. Uh, marked that way often in the score, though the uh, particular performers are not always able to oblige the composer's wishes. A soprano well known for her pianissimo high notes is a Spanish soprano Montserrat Caballé. Usually, in a given aria or opera, there are plenty of high notes to satisfy everybody, and often there are too many for comfort. One interesting example of this can be found when we hear two recordings of the triumphal scene from Verdi's Aida, the closing measures of it, that is. Here it is, in the way it is meant to be sung, as Verdi intended. At the end of a long act, whoever is singing the title role of Aida sails up to a high B-flat, and she's had to do just the same not too long before, and of course singing over huge orchestral and choral forces. In 1949, when singing Verdi's Aida down in Mexico City, for some reason Maria Callas uh, decided that the triumphal scene was not quite challenging enough. So she uh, followed the example of an early Mexican soprano who had, uh, in order to bring down the house even harder, had added a very special high note at the end of the triumphal scene. Here's a recording of actual performance from 1949 in Mexico City with Maria Callas adding more high notes in Verdi's Aida.
And of course it worked. That high E flat added to the end of the triumphal scene from Verdi's Aida. And incidentally, uh, in a Central Park performance in New York City earlier this spring, Aprile Milo, that up-and-coming young star which I mentioned earlier in the program, took up Callas on that challenge and added that E-flat herself with predictable results. It's not just in uh, opera and in arias that uh, sopranos are tempted to add high notes that need not be there. Uh, witness this rather interesting conclusion to I Could Have Danced All Night, Wagnerian soprano Birgit Nielsen. You certainly didn't hear it uh, that way in the movie or uh, on the Broadway stage. Uh, from an album entitled Met Stars on Broadway, Birgit Nielsen adding her special and interesting touch to I Could Have Danced All Night from Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady. One of the saddest things about the high note is that in most cases it's the first thing to go when a singer has sung a long and hard-working career often is those high notes which begin to produce the most trouble and eventually, of course, are not there at all. In 1952, Wagnerian soprano Kirsten Flagstead, entering the twilight of one of the great careers of the century, recorded the opera Tristan und Isolde under Wilhelm Furtwängler. By this point in time, several of the high seas in Wagner's opera were simply beyond her reach, particularly the high seas which were approached quickly and they were simply beyond her grasp. But those high C's, those three high C's, were less than 1% of the music which Flagstead had to sing as Isolde. So was she to not record it at all? Of course not. Angel Records and the producers and Flagstead decided that Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, a friend of Flagstead, would come in, and only on those high C's would she sing. And so we have this example you'll hear a very high note coming in a different color. That is Elizabeth Schwarzkopf. Especially as they come down, you hear a heavier voice take over. That was Schwarzkopf on top and Flagstead on the bottom. Another example of high notes that uh, eventually left uh, were those of Maria Callas. She sang a career in which she tried to sing just about everything, high, florid, bel canto roles, as well as the heavy dramatic spinto roles. And it told on her voice, particularly towards the very, very end. Her last staged operatic performance was in 1965. In 1969, uh, she returned to the recording studios at Angel uh, with the intention of releasing uh, a disc of Verdi arias. That was never released, but two performances from that disc eventually were released after Callas's death. Uh, they are an example where Callas had to simply leave them out or sing them very, very, very softly. So these are really dress rehearsals, so to speak, that we are overhearing. When Callas went back to sing these high notes full voice, they simply were not there. And eventually the entire recorded project uh, simply could not be released. An example of how those elusive high notes eventually become beyond the grasp of the singer.
the top voice basically gone, and yet so much quality singing still there. It's one uh, tragedy that Maria Callas was not willing at the end of her career to branch out into some of the lower voices, uh, to sing some of the great mezzo roles, Amneris, Atsuchena, uh, Princess Eboli, dramatic roles that she really could have sunk her teeth into. But she had known glorious days where she could sing the high notes with the best of them. And with those, when you've sung those soprano roles, it's difficult to let go. High notes can come in bad places. And often you can tell that the composers that put them where they did were not singers themselves. If they were, they perhaps wouldn't be so cruel. It's tough when a high note comes at the very, very beginning, when you've barely come out on stage and are just warmed up, and all of a sudden you're asked to sing a pianissimo high B-flat. In Verdi's Aida, Celeste Aida, the great aria from Act One, is sung as soon as Rodimus has entered the stage. And at the end of the aria, he's asked to sing a pianissimo nissimo high B-flat. Well, he started loud, but uh, tenor Franco Carelli on this recording under Zubin Mehta managed a rather nice uh, decrescendo. Even the great UC Burling was not quite able to come up with a pianissimo B-flat. This is more often the kind of B-flat you hear at the end of Celeste Aida. A beautiful sound, not exactly what Verdi wanted, but if Verdi had been a singer, he probably wouldn't have asked for the near impossible. It's no fun to have a high note staring you in the face at the beginning of a performance, and it also is uh, no pleasure uh, to have a high note at the very, very end of an opera. There are several instances in which there are high notes awaiting a singer at the very end of a long performance, at the end of Puccini's Tosca, for instance, and at the end of Wagner's Siegfried. High seas await them as the very last notes of the night, something which soprano and tenor are known to dread. so difficult, but oh so wonderful when the high seas are there. We're going to be hearing now two singers that have redefined the high note. What was thought of as a high note before, they took and threw away and gave us high notes galore. 
It should be mentioned right off the bat that it is possible to produce incredibly high and low sounds. Uh, if you refer to a source like the Guinness Book of World Records, they will refer to people that can produce sounds that go the span of the piano, from the highest note you can play on the piano to the lowest. The same person, usually men, needless to say, that somehow managed to squeak out tones way, way up and way, way down. But notes of no musical value whatsoever. Really, you can't even call them notes. They're more like freak sounds. But there have been singers who have produced spectacular special high notes, and we're going to be listening to two of them now. The first is a French soprano entitled Mado Robin. The last name is spelled R-O-B-I-N, just like the bird. And in a way, that's, uh, that's uh, almost appropriate, because she sang with the clarity and ease of the songbird. We're going to display her special talent, though, uh, in this way. We're going to be hearing the very end of the mad scene from Donizetti's Lucia di Lamamur. First, we're going to hear it in its original form, as Donizetti expected it to, to be sung with uh, the high notes. American soprano Roberta Peters. If you think that is high, you haven't heard anything yet. That was an E-flat at the very end, and a high note, needless to say, and beautifully sung by Miss Roberta Peters. But now listen to the way Mato Robin sings those same pages of music. not every day that you hear notes sung like that. What most sopranos call a high B-flat is a whole octave lower than the high note which you just heard sung by French soprano Mado Robin. A B-flat above high B-flat. Obviously a note which uh, Gaetano Donizetti never even conceived of being sung and yet managed by the spectacularly talented Mado Robin. Mato Robin was born in December of 1980 uh, in France. Her parents were music lovers, as were her sisters. And it was at the age of 13 that Mato Robin began the study of voice for her own pleasure. And she was heard at the age of 17 by the veteran Italian baritone Tito Ruffo, who was so impressed that uh, he suggested serious study in Italy. Uh, she returned from that study in 1937 and entered and won the Concours des Soprani, the Concord of Sopranos, a competition held by the Paris Opera, and won first place. Unfortunately, the onset of her career was delayed by the beginning of World War II. It was really not until 1945 that her 
operatic career proper began uh, with a Rigoletto in February of 1945. She's not a particularly familiar name in the United States because she only sang here on a couple of occasions. In fact, Mano Robin really sang very seldom at all. The biggest reason was because she was uh, from a very, very wealthy family. And so she did not have the financial allurement uh, to draw her into many, many performances. So she was one to pick and choose quite selectively when and where and what she would sing. And so her performances are not particularly well-known in this country. She did open the San Francisco opera season in 1954, and boy, did she cause a ruckus. Uh, the problem came in a performance of Rigoletto in which she stuck one of her high B-flats in a performance against the orders of the conductor, Fausto Cleva, who walked out. Uh, needlessly, since that was the one and only performance with Mato Boran was supposed to sing. And a few weeks later, she sang a Lucia di Lamamur there, in which she also stuck in great high uh, notes that stunned the crowd. In fact, one reviewer for the San Francisco Chronicle tells of how he could hear hundreds of people literally after that high B-flat gasping in amazement. Mato Robin's career continued through the 1950s, but mostly in Europe, singing only occasionally, uh, in, the, in North America. One of those few occasions uh, was the wedding of Grace Kelly and Prince Rainier, and uh, appearing in 1957 in New York City at the uh, New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. That was the last time she was heard in the United States, uh, containing her career from that point on to Europe. We're going to hear her just a bit more before we move on to a gentleman named Ivan Rebroff, who also redefined the high notes. We're going to hear a couple excerpts from radio performances in which we hear Model Robin before a live audience, and you can hear the expected results that her special, special high notes had upon her listeners. This is a Rodolphe Productions recording, really quite rare, radio performances of Model Robin dating from the mid-1950s. Here she is singing the delightful doll song from Offenbach's Tales of Hoffman. Oh, my God. 
Now you know what a real high note is. B-flat above B-flat, a song by the incomparable Mado Robin. As you could hear, there is imperfection in much of her singing, pitch problems, and not the ability with fioratura of other great singers, but those oh, spectacular high notes which nobody else could sing. You'll find listed in the Guinness Book of World Records under highest sound emitted of musical quality, French soprano Mado Robin. One sad note concerning her career, it was cut quite short in 1960 uh, by an illness called leukemia. She died at the age of 39. But while she was around, she left an unmistakable imprint upon uh, the operatic world. Speaking of unmistakable imprints... We now hear from a gentleman with the world's largest vocal range, Ivan Rebroff. Oh, <laughs> 
obviously uh, an remarkable singer, not ordinary in any sense of the word, Ivan Rebroff. Born in Germany, but of Russian parents, successful in Europe, for a while on the operatic stage, but really from the start, his greatest fame rests in the art songs and folk songs of his native Russia. And with them he sings with a very, very special charm and obviously some vocal tricks that astound and uh, enjoy and entertain. He came to this country quite triumphantly in 1971 for a summer recital at Carnegie Hall in New York, and he broke every summertime attendance record, packing the house night after night with performance after performance of uh, songs just like you heard. At the time when he was interviewed, uh, 1971, he said, I'm a prehistoric monster, a fossil, so to speak, a Baroque Bacchelelian, a wine god from ancient Greece with the attitude of a czarist postmaster. I am not the illegitimate afterthought of a Russian Grand Duke, nor am I one of Genghis Khan's time fuses, nor Fyodor Chaliapin's St. John Impulse, and, and uh, Margarita was not my grandmother. Uh, a man with an entertaining uh, spoken word as well as sung. His introduction for a packed Albert Hall were the words that you just heard. He referred to himself uh, always uh, jokingly and with a certain humility and charm which really helped make him the, the, the joy of everyone who heard him. He talks about being a youngster and enjoying singing from a very young age and being terribly, terribly distressed when his voice started to change and it began to dawn on him that he was not going to be able to sing the roles of Rosina and Isolde and all these uh, female soprano roles. And uh, so it was with a vengeance that he held on to the falsetto, that high voice which sounds female and yet which he sings with a great strength. He has sung opera on stage, in chorus including Boris Gudunov, Baron Ox, and Der Rosenkavalier, Don Basilio, particularly with the Frankfurt Opera Company. But he had a special joy for singing in that high head voice and falsetto. And, of course, there was basically no opportunity whatsoever in opera for him to make use of that special talent. So he expanded his repertory and interest to the art songs and folk songs of Russia and of the Slavic countries. And as he continued to work on that upper range and the low range began to uh, deepen, he eventually uh, could claim a range of four and a half octaves. Not only that, but he was a veritable superstar in Europe. He had twice the record sales of Frank Sinatra uh, in this country. When he first came in the early 1970s, he also was... Uh, a hot item in that he was singing works that had not been heard for many, many years. There had not been a major Russian recitalist, uh, especially one that had leaned upon the old favorite folk songs and art songs of Russia. And that made uh, his emergence then especially timely and helped to make him even more successful. Standing six foot six and 265 pounds, Obviously, Rebroff cut a dramatic figure on the stage with a big, full beard and rather long hair. Uh, he called himself often 
a brunette Santa Claus. And he does have that Santa Claus kind of look to him. And a wonderful, delightful charm when it came to introducing songs and relating uh, to the audience. He has been compared to Fyodor Chaliapin, although somewhat unfairly. Uh, he never had the operatic sort of effect that Chaliapin did, uh, but they did have that same kind of animal magnetism and appeal to opera fans and music fans of all kind. He wrote of Chaliapin, he was a genius. Compared to him, I have a small talent, nothing more. Among the other roles that he has sung on stage is the role of Tevia in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. He has sung that in France, in the language of French, and we'll hope to get to that before the hour is up. His rendition, and a lively one it is, of If I Were a Rich Man. Several albums of Ivan Rebroff were released in the early 1970s on Columbia, his one and only uh, American record company. And among the most wonderful showcases for Rebroff's unique singing talent is The Legend of the Twelves of Twelve Thieves from an album entitled Ivan Rebroff Sings Folk Songs from Old Russia. Particularly to the very end, you'll hear him sail to the top and to the bottom of his incredible range. The story of this is that the leader of a gang of thieves robs the rich of all their wealth to distribute to the poor until the hand of God touches his soul and he enters a monastery instead. An interesting, entertaining story and sung wonderfully by Russian Ivan Rebrov.
Legend of the Twelve Thieves, a wonderful showcase for the very special singing of Russian Ivan Rebrov. An interesting sidelight to the talent of Ivan Rebrov, besides being a singer of phenomenal vocal range, he has also written some of the things which he performs, both words and music. From a vanguard recording, here's a song by Mr. Rebrov entitled Gypsies. legacy from his onstage performances as Tevia in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Incidentally, the bands which we hear with applause are from a Columbia recording made of a live concert at Carnegie Hall in 1972, so a year after the U.S. debut of Ivan Rebroff. The research I did on Ivan Rebroff yielded absolutely nothing, not a word, not a mention of Ivan Rebroff after the year 1975. I found it to be curious and have no idea whether or not Ivan Rebroff is still around, still singing, uh, still entertaining audiences. Uh, 
it's quite conceivable that because of political considerations or otherwise, that his activity is limited uh, to Europe. Whether or not he is still singing, uh, nothing changes the fact that for those few years in which he crossed the country on his tours, perhaps no singer in the early 1970s made such a splash as did the delightful Ivan Rebroff. He used his voice in a very special, imaginative way, and of course, was able to produce notes of incredible, incredible beauty. Another favorite from the Ivan Rebroff concerts, Moscow Nights. I'm Gregory Berg, and I hope you've enjoyed this closer look at some special singers who have redefined the high note. It's 3.59 here on listener-supported WGTD. A reminder looking ahead that we have Saturday by request tomorrow afternoon, classical music call-in program 1 to 4 here on listener-supported WGTD.